I'm Martin Reeves, Chairman of the BCG Henderson Institute. Welcome to our podcast where we discuss important new books and ideas in business. Delighted today to be joined by Ram Charan, who is a world-renowned business advisor, author, and speaker, really needs no introduction. Spent the past 40 years advising, truly advising one-on-one top company CEOs, has written over 30 books since 1998 including many bestsellers, such as the uh, book Execution that he wrote with Larry, Larry Bossidy. And he has a new book that I'm delighted to discuss with him today called Rethinking Competitive Advantage, which came out in uh, April from uh, Penguin. So welcome, Ram. Thank you. I'm honored to be on this podcast. Thank you very much for arranging. Well, thank you for saying that, uh, Ram. So your book seems to be about um, competitive advantage in the digital age, which is obviously a very hot subject. Let me kick off by asking you, has anything changed in competitive advantage? Surely the names of the companies are different, but has anything fundamentally changed? Yeah, I think, Martin, there are three changes. The context has changed. Number one, we have come from the idea of mass production, mass marketing, mass advertising. Starting at a commercial scale with Amazon, it is now personalization, tailoring to each customer, each consumer, consumer then driving the behavior. That's one change. The second change, we talked long time to create a competitive advantage through many of the tangible and physical things, individual companies against another individual company than individual company, individual industry against individual industry. Because of the use of the mathematics, AI, machine learning, digitization, it is now a competition among ecosystems. It's not just company alone. And the third shift is that the front end of the business is software algorithmic driven, individually connected to the customer and consumer has now a new business thinking, money-making thinking, business model thinking. That is, we were trained with the principle of diminishing return. We have now discovered and conclusively proven the principle of increasing returns. Why? You scale up and the incremental cost of software or machine learning at a high scale is not that high, it's low, sometimes minuscule. And these are three very central changes in addition to the mindset of the management, the leaders must come to term. There is no such thing as permanent competitive advantage. Well, let me ask you about that, Ram, because so clearly in your account, a lot has changed, but some people have an even more extreme theory about strategy, which is the strategy itself is no longer relevant. It's only about execution or speed or technology. But you seem to maintain that competitive advantage is still relevant. Is that right? Yeah. So, Martin, very major change. It used to be create a strategy first, then we will think and do execution. Those days are over. Speed is high. The volatility is high. You must do both thinking of a strategy, determining the priorities, testing your idea, and execution in parallel, because the speed matters. So you're saying that strategy needs to be continuously remade in a sense. So is the no doubt, no doubt. Let me mention to you one thing: 
and I learned this from Jack Welch 25 years ago, 30 years ago. A strategy is a central idea. It has five, six very key observable building blocks. You polish them, you test them, you see how they get executed. Then you do your numbers. So you iterate, iterate, iterate. And most of these good strategies with very specifics can be laid out in two to three pages. And the competitive advantage, and you take a red pencil and take out the buzzwords, you get to the guts of it. Then you have the numbers and so on, which are based on this quality of thinking because marketplace does not wait for your planning cycle. So in a sense, it's not strategy that's dead or competitive advantage. It's perhaps the traditional form of the annual planning process. Yeah, I think the, we don't have any more time for annual planning process. It has to be rolling. It has to be tomorrow comes a surprise. You next day or the same day, get your people together. What is the change? Who's creating the change? Will it take a major advantage going forward? What building blocks we need to change? What we need to test? You do more thinking and testing than you do a written plan. Now, you say that there are some outdated theories that get in the way of legacy companies adopting some of these new principles, your five rules of digital strategy. And what are some of the implicit beliefs that can get in the way of responding in the right way to digital challenges? This is a very central question. We have been trained for almost 50 years to have inside outlook. We have been trained to build on your existing core competence. Existing core competence for many is becoming obsolete. We need to see from outside in. Absolute mandatory, you learn about the consumer and the customer. You work backwards from there. Now, this sounds defensive. No. If you are on the offense, outside in, know the consumer, study it, watch the new technologies. You say, where is the new opportunity, exponential opportunity? Which of our core competencies will work? What new ones do we need? And we've got to incorporate those. Any legacy company that is not bringing new core competencies, they run the risk of going out. And they also run the risk of not creating new opportunities that are abundant coming out in this roughly $90 trillion global economy, which is expanding. So one of the things you talk about is boundaries. You say that this inside-out thinking we apply, it assumes that the corporation is the right unit of analysis, whereas you maintain that the ecosystem is now the right unit of analysis. So how does that change the game? May I just elaborate a little bit what you were saying? The unit of analysis has to become the consumer. You work backwards from there. And then you say, what need we satisfy now? Is that going to be obsolete? Or do we need a bundle of needs that consumer needs? And that will force you to think cross-industry, cross-industry ecosystem, and personalization. There you make a lot of fixed investment in technology. You change mindset, you build ecosystem. And there you start doing that. And then you have to discard part of the portfolio that is no longer relevant. We know this, that your old legacy business is being taken care of by these new digital giants. So your market value has begun to decline. That's your very clear signal. 
So we know that capital allocation tends to be quite sticky in, in large companies. Is that one of the problems that companies may see the new signals, but they may be too slow to reallocate resources from their traditional businesses? Yeah. See, the first point for the capitalization, you got to get the CEO and the board aligned to get a blueprint. Yes, you can think 10 years out, but we got to do something in the next two years, next one year. Number two is that you got to generate cash to fund the technology and ecosystem. More important, do you have the talent? You got to deal with the talent in the top 25 people. You're stretching the previous talent whose mindset and attitude is not with it. You have a major problem. There you got to lead. Walking away from the successful business model and walking away from things that we know, ideas that we know and structures that we know and talent that we're familiar with, that's, that's a pretty tough thing to do. Is there a paradox of urgency here? Namely, if you wait until you feel the sense of urgency, it may be too late. Yet it's yeah. quite hard to preemptively have that sense of, of urgency. What has been your counsel yeah. to CEOs about manufacturing the sense of urgency? This is a, a central question you posed. And there are both models. One, you integrate with what you have. Another, you start separately. So one of the best examples, I was allowed to work with a company called Delphi. Some time ago, not now. I did succession there. It became very clear that to play the game of the automotive, which you know how big change there is, is to split the company in two parts. And the old hardware legacy companies essentially sold. And the software-driven, all those LiDAR-driven, all those new alliances and ecosystems built, done very well. I am very clear what Kevin Clark has done is outstanding. And that keeping it together with the mindset of hardware driving the business, to go to a mindset, software driving with different kind of ecosystem would have been almost impossible. As you say, this decision to make an integrated response or a separate response is an absolutely critical one. Uh, how do you make that decision? I can give you an example. They call the company Aptiv, A-P-T-I-V. And Raj Gupta is the chairman of it, a friend of mine. He was born only 20 miles from my house in India. So I worked for him. He's very, very, very collaborative. And they chose Kevin Clark, whom I have a great regard. And these two people kept thinking with the board. And then the board persuaded the best option is this. And the market value is created. See, in the past, we used to say revenues, margins, cash, which is we must. But we also have to think about how the combination of those creates market cap. Different combinations will create different market cap. So by splitting, they can get funding. They can get talent. Their compensation will be totally different. Their priorities. But the most important part, they build the ecosystems differently. For example, Aptiv build an ecosystem with the FARA, with the eye, mobile eye, which has nine out of 10 largest automotive customers. Think about the value of that ecosystem. And maybe mobile eye would have never gone if 80% of the business was hardware and 10 to 20% was software. So let's go through your, your six rules. I said five earlier, it's actually six. And just briefly get a feel for those rules of, uh, I guess, the rules of competition in a, in a digital age. 
So your first rule is that a personalized customer experience is the key to exponential growth. Now, certainly digital technology enables us to have um, segment of one customization. Is it always necessary though? Do you see this as being a fairly universal part of a competitive strategy nowadays? Yeah. Number one, I have come down on the side of universal. B2B, B2C, C2B, I want people to make no mistake about that. Number two, I want to compliment BCG. I met one of your colleagues about four years ago who designed a technology for Starbucks that sends out 12 million personalized coupons every day across the globe. That is a competitive advantage. Your people did a fantastic job, but the credit goes to Howard Schultz and his people who thought we should do that. Indeed, that was quite a revolution in, the, in that industry, a customized offering for coffee purchases. And the other part is that it's not just for the customer. It is now employee as E equal to one. So once again, BCG did a fantastic job for fidelity up front. Manish Kumar worked very, very closely with them to make the organization structure from some seven layers to three and build a team-based organization. Except for two people, all people got into the team-based structure. And when it got done with 95, the machine learning type people, on day one, Fidelity put page one, front page for Wall Street Journal, zero-based product. They now produce 70 plus products a year that change the industry. So this is what we're talking here. They have individualized customer for wealth management, and they brought the layer and made the organization very, very, very agile. Let me ask you another question about Innovation. customers, because I think what you're not saying is ask the customer what they want, because a lot of these offerings are new to the world. Customers don't know that they need streaming until they see it and they play with it. Because, and, you, and you talk about trends, you know, the yeah, importance yeah. of spotting emerging yeah. trends. Um, yeah, emerging trends. Let me just mention about the customer thing. The machine learning and data does not give everything. You still have to observe the consumer. So I work with a company called Uniqlo in Japan, fast retailing. Mr. Yanai is one of the best observers of consumers. He goes, he sees, figures that out. Because this trick is to imagine what the consumer will want. Steve Jobs was very good at it. He did not do any consumer research. Now for the trends, your question is very important. First, I want everybody to think that you go on the offense. Why? We have 85 trillion economy. 25 is consumer, consumption. Roughly 20% going online, 5 trillion. And a consumer wants convenience wants cheaper, wants lost my delivery. These are all have to be done by the technology. But also this technology is altering the domain technology. You see the materials for chip manufacturing being altered in life sciences being altered. It's going to be altering the niche for ESG. It is here, new industries are coming going forward. Then we have tensions between America and China. Supply chains have to change. They have to come close to the consumer. Supply chain, not only cost and risk, but the issues of the emissions. 
they are huge. They're a large part there. So rethinking has to be done. The other part is a lot of funding coming in into new startups, and they have new ideas. So I was very impressed, last point there, the then CEO of Intel, when he became CEO, he went to some roughly 100 startups. And he said, I'm buying nothing, I'm selling you nothing. You have access to me, I have access to you. What's new? And that gave him some very good feeling what was going on. So our CEOs need to go out more. Um, actually, you, you mentioned a word that I'm very interested in, imagination. About 90% of CEOs uh, in a survey we did said that imagination, the ability to see the possibility of creating things that don't currently exist was vitally important for large companies. Yet about 80% said that's very hard in large companies. And as you've said, the consumer doesn't tell you what they want next. And the trend, the data from the trend doesn't tell you what to do next. So where does that imagination component come in? For, for large corporations, how does that yeah. work? Yeah, first thing I want to mention before the imagination, Martin, you see, when you look at Jeff Bezos, a very large part of his business model is not new things. He has 18 failures. They are old needs of the people reconstituted. 60% of that is from the marketplace. And look at what machine he has, a cash machine like nobody else's. There is innovation in Microsoft. Again, it's need-driven because it's largely initially B2B going forward. Now, for imagination, I love what Steve Jobs used to do. I knew that. By the way, I have a very little, very, very little core part in bringing him back. It's in my book, uh, Boards That Leave with Ed Willard, who brought him single-handedly. He would go and take tours. He will go and get aspirations to various places. And he will observe consumers in different contexts. And that gave him what the consumer's pain points were. And observing the pain points gives you the new idea. So um, putting, putting words in your mouth, uh, you seem to be pointing in the direction of experimentation, observation, yes. and recombination, if I get you correctly. Exactly. But go and observe. Observe the consumers you don't have. Now, I know CEOs have a lot of, to, lot of work to do, a lot of demands, a lot of trade-offs. But if you don't know the consumer and its need, shareholder will be shareholder value will be very difficult. Let's move on to rule two. So rule two was that algorithms and data are essential weapons. And the question I'm interested in here is what I call hybrid organization. In other words, when we talk about organization, we may be thinking about hierarchies of people. But increasingly, the cognition, the thinking in organization is done partly by algorithms and partly by people. Are there companies out there that are thinking seriously and coming up with solutions as to how to combine synergistically machine cognition and human cognition? And what does that organization look like? Yeah, I think the cognition machine is going to help us. But the human cognition, by having the data and interpretation of it, should be enhanced, not reduced. Because if you focus more on the future, on the consumer, on the new technologies, then you see what is happening. I mean, I, I just saw this morning, and I, you know this better than I do before. Would you believe Apple has a roughly $5 billion fund for manufacturing to give out to the suppliers? They just gave $45 million to Corning Glass. Now, that's looking at the future of technology in the case of the ceramic glass. So idea here is the imagination. Idea here is this whole hybrid thing. 
you need people who are more thinkers, imagineers, those who will then translate into actionable building blocks and not go into extraordinary control, extraordinary monitoring, dotting the I's and is spending half their time on PowerPoints. Well, you spend a long time with top teams. And um, so I have a question for you about where teams spend their time. So if you were a, a CEO that had the diaries of all of your managers and you knew what they were spending their time thinking about, and you could persuade them to reallocate what they're thinking about and spending time on, yes. what, what, what would they do less of? And what would they do more in the digital age, do you think? Yeah. So, so Martin, I'm just writing a piece with a CEO exactly on that question. And he wants to make the organization very agile. Now, the, the key part is first, I have one of my students, so I won't tell the long story here. His idea was that if you have people better than you reporting to you, it's easier to give the decisions down. So what he used to do every January, take a yellow pad, go to the club, and he decides what two decisions he will not make starting July 1. He finds the right person. He, he was good in recruiting people better than him, functionally, obviously, and coach train. And July, he will do that. And then July will do for January. So here, the CEO has to have one major psychological thing. And the psychological thing is Wall Street demands no surprises. So he has that anxiety of the no surprises that needs to go. And so now people doing very robust systems for that through automation. And then he's got to rely on the people to do. And that will start showing the allocation of time, what allocation of time you have to do. But there are things only the CEO has to do. They're not negotiable. The board work work with the Congress or the regulators. There are some things that he has to do, she has to do. So you got to get a list of those because those are not delegated. The other ones then, as I say, double your capacity by having the right people and right teams. And you're stressing decentralization because that is connected with the agility and the experimentation that you need in the digital age or for some other yeah, reason? that is it. But I am saying not a wholesale. You start from the top on most critical decisions. So we're going to skip over some of the rules in the interest of time. But let me just read them out because we've touched on them. So the rule three was a company does not compete, an ecosystem does. I think we talked about that one. Uh, rule four was money making is geared to cash generation, not earnings per share. Perhaps you can say yes. a few words about that one to decode that one for us. Yeah, Martin, I was brought up in a shoe shop. We never heard of EPS, any such thing. We had a cash at the end of the day. We manage on cash. We did very well. Jeff Bezos runs his company on the basis of cash for share. I just begin to see in Microsoft, Nadella is beginning to use cash gross margin. So cash is cash unless there's a fraud. The EPS, all these things were designed for comparison purposes. All the conventions got done. And these are discretions in there. If you manage on a cash basis, Many of the real estate businesses are on cash basis. I've been trained on the cash basis. When I examine a company, I go to see the cash, where it is, how it is, what are the earnings. And people have now that 100% of the earnings are cash. That's fine. But cash is the blood, how you allocate, how you earn. And what are you emphasizing there? Are you, are you emphasizing that growth is more important than static efficiency? Or what's the underlying idea there? What's driving the new economy companies to manage differently and think differently financially? 
so the one part is that the, these digital companies, and I, I should tell you an incident I was told. As Bezos did, he began from day one managing on the cash basis. So I used to go to Microsoft Summit, do presentations. A small room, 10 CEOs, one CEO would make a presentation about his business. Jeff Bezos made a presentation. And so big shots there in the room really almost killed him. And then he kept saying, my business model is different. So the idea here is you first focus on revenue growth, second on gross margin, all two together. No cash gross margin, you don't have any bidder. And software helps you increase gross margin. So his gross margin has gone from 20% reaching 40. And I'm saying, I have no doubt it'll be a trillion dollar in revenue in five years or less. And gross margin will reach 50%. Now, the gross margin of the traditional competitors is less than 30. It's a cash machine. This year is going to spend 50 billion in technology alone. But he began with one product, a small leaning on his knees to pack the boxes. He did not do all these things in one year, but the speed in 20 years has shown pretty good. Now, Target is coming through. Walmart is modifying. Adobe got the religion some time ago and doing fantastic going forward. So other people coming through. Let me press on that a little bit because I'm trying to get to the central idea there. Is the central idea that it's the growth that creates the value, not the not the cost control, the static efficiency with an assumption of low growth. Is that the idea or is there some other idea no, you're trying no, to get No, at? no, no. No, if you examine Amazon, they go to the cost reduction with a vengeance. Growth and margin first, cash margin first. And then, so I have a friend who was there, who was recruited from Microsoft. He was given the task to reduce the cost of delivery. He was given 12 people first, he got 100. In between Jeff Bezos and him was only one layer. He reduced the cost by a factor of 10. He got 100 people to do it. He's with my client, not a CEO. They go with a vengeance. And he says, I'm happy to take the losses initially, but let's get the scale. And we know how, how to use robotics. How do we use machine learning? We will slash the cost. You've got to do both. So rule five is people and culture to design a, a social engine uh, that drives execution innovation. I think we spoke about that one. And um, rule six, we let's, let's touch upon that one. Um, so leaders continuously learn, imagine, and break through obstacles to create change that other companies must contend with. So you spend a lot of time, I know, doing individual counsel to CEOs on you know, whatever yeah. their issues are. So in relation to digital competition, what do CEOs of legacy companies struggle with the most? What are the hardest issues? Right now, at this point, I should not say struggle, but very concerned is getting the right talent and preventing the loss of critical talent. Also, board composition. Some of the legacy company boards, I'm privately looking at it for someone. I'm going to tell you some of the boards have to change. I said, as an observer in one board, and a board member who was highly respected kept saying, don't go outside your core competence, which had become partly relevant, and nobody is going to contradict you. So the boards can be a competitive disadvantage. That's it. The board relationship is important. But the other part is that the they have not yet clearly worked out a system that you invest this year to build the future. 
and be able to have your shareholder base that they understand. So we're unfortunately nearly out of time, Ram, but let me finish coming back to the central thesis of competition. So you've talked about the things that legacy companies need to learn from digital challengers. Now, some may contend that probably imitation of the digital challenges may not be the winning strategy. So if you look at the companies that have actually successfully taken on the digital uh, challenges, the legacy companies, and have uh, you know, triumphed or reestablished themselves, what are the essential strategies to win as opposed to defend against? Yeah. So the key point here is that I use the simple word digitization for the technology. It is a commoditized situation now. It's not a differentiator. Another person can do it now if you do it right. It is the business model you develop. It is the strategy you develop. It is the talent you have to go after. That is a differentiator. That is a competitive advantage. So they have no choice. They've got to do that. Now, how good are you? Is your, your mindset, your game, how to go after it. So I see this is happening. And I'm saying that some of these people have taken hold of it. And they are able to do portions of their digitization. Digitization is simply a tool. Tool is available. But using the tool to change your mindset, to change your thinking, to redesign your strategy, your business model, and think about 7.2 billion people, 7.4 billion people, and see what are the unserved, underserved consumer needs. There are plenty of them to go after. And by the way, you as a legacy company have embedded customer base, you have relationship, you have data. There are needs for those. Get to know them. Go from defensive to on the offense and create exponential market value. This is happening. And as you do that, I mean, let's take the poster child of uh, digital success, Amazon. Every thesis has an antithesis. Does Amazon have exploitable weaknesses? If, if I were competing with Amazon, what would you advise me uh, to think about? Remember, in every business, there is a weakness in the business model. Figure out the business model more than the digitization. Because today we have ex-Amazon people who have small companies of billion in, one billion in sales who are doing the digitization. Digitization is not the differentiator. It is the business model. It's the business segments, the business needs. Where are you going? That's what we need to exploit. Well, thanks so much for spending time with us today, Ram. It's been uh, fascinating. And um, I have to say thank you to you personally, of course, because uh, you gave me some counsel uh, many years ago that I should uh, <laughs> write down some of my ideas. So you, you were actually the inspiration for the, uh, for the first book. Yes, thank you. Thank you. I'm really honored to be here. I'm a great fan of BCG. Many of my students in 68, 69, 70 were key people in the establishment of BCG working with Mr. Anderson. Thank you, Ram. So I've been speaking to Ram Charan, the author of Rethinking Competitive Advantage, published in April 2021. And I recommend this as a, as a book for legacy companies to think about recodifying strategy and to rethink some of their traditional assumptions. So thank you again, Ram. Thank you. Bye-bye.